House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and you're in for another jam-packed action-adventure show today. Mr. Uh, Marty Martino is on the uh, <laughs> other coast checking out things down there. That's right. Yeah. You got any truckers trying to drive you off the road or anybody looking for freedom down there? Uh, not that I've seen, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, you know, I was uh, just at a, a, a rock concert. So, yeah, <laughs> I, oh. I didn't notice any, um, oh. any, any uh, uh, truck uh, convoys or anything like that. No. Well, they're probably all at the concert with you. That, that, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're probably true. I didn't know any of those bands were still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet Riot, well, well, they're almost all dead, isn't it true? It's just one left. Uh, well, yeah, Quiet Riot has one member, one original member, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, Slaughter? I think uh, Slaughter has at least two original members. And Rat, there's nobody left in that. That's yeah, except for the lead singer. <laughs> wow, there you go. Yeah. They should all get together, the few members left, and create a band. They should. It could be a super group. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if I'd go that far, super. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, you're pushing it there. <laughs> it's kind of like leftover group. Come on. <laughs> anyway, I'm being mean. I'm in a mean you mood. You are. You're mean. You're in a mean, mean mood. Alan. I'm in a mean mood. Well, you know, I have blood tests all day. I just say, you know, yeah. doctor stuff. I hate that. Mess at the Warren household. You feel like a pincushion. Well, yeah, you know, and then I get needles. No. Okay, <laughs> let's, get, let's get serious here. We've got someone on the line here, and, he, and he's from Scotland, okay? So sit up straight, and let's do this right. Um, we've got a crime thriller writer here, and uh, his name's Ed James. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> you get to say that later. <laughs> um, well, it's just interesting. So you're like, uh, you've got a lot of books out here. Now you seem to be um, into the, you know, like uh, let's see, in this last series you've got it's the uh, uh, Fenchurch crime series, and um, you've got nine books, I guess, because it's book nine here, the last thing to die that I see. Before we get into that series, how did you get into writing? Period. Um. So I, I used to be uh, sort of in, funny. You were talking about rock bands and stuff there. I used to be in um, sort of little small bands, and I had the dream of be, becoming a rock star, and it never happened. And then I sort of I worked with a guy who it was sort of writing and trying to get published, and thought, why don't I try that? Um, and that was as that was as simple as it was. There was no. I used, you can speak to a lot of authors who've who've been destined to become writers since they were like five years old or whatever. But um, uh, very much, I sort of fell into it. I, I read quite a lot. I was actually a part of my parents. Say I'm a late starting reader. I used to read comics. That's what got me in American comics, Batman and X Men and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and then I read lots of sci-fi and then I got into uh, sort of British crime and then a lot of American crime as well. And then, um, yes, yeah, so that just, I just started writing a book. It was a dreadful, <laughs> dreadful first book about, um, uh, a guy in a rock band trying to get a record deal and, um, everything going wrong for him and nobody was interested in it. And then I did another one, which was a bit more crimey and nobody was interested in that. And then I wrote, um, the first Scott Cullen book, um, which would be about 2009. I wrote that, tried to get agents as you do over here, uh, probably the same system you guys have, um, uh, certainly then, and nobody, I got a couple of people who were interested in reading the full thing, but nobody who, who, um, bit. So I just parked it away and got on with my day job for a couple of years. And then the Kindle started kicking off. It was a bit, a bit earlier in your side of the pond than over here. It was about 2011. It started being a thing here, really. Um, so 2012, April. Um, so when I've published the first of those books and then it's just been a constant uh, feed of them ever since. So, um, yeah, it was just a passion for reading the books. And then I was always looking for something that was that absorbed me and took my uh, creative juices. And that sort of certainly has uh, soaked them all up, as you can see, with a number of books I've <laughs> published. <laughs> well, I, I, I wonder, because if you're into the uh, rock band, into the music, mm. Uh, that was my side too, but I, I wonder, uh, do you find that your writing is sometimes an outlet for what you would be doing if you were writing songs? Yeah, so I, I was more, I was a bass player and did, but I did a lot more of the production side. So I recorded us and the, the, the second band was in with lots of sort of drum machines and samplers and synthesizers and all that sort of stuff. And I used to program all that. So that was the sort of immersive side of it. So it was less of the trying to bear my soul and uh, write lyrics and songs and so on. But I wrote quite a lot of music, which I always found quite sort of interesting and, and then arranging the stuff and that sort of side of things. Um, certainly, um, is how I approach writing, I suppose, that I look at a much more of a sort of screenwriting style structure, uh, all that sort of, uh, side of writing rather than just make, wheeling, dealing as I go through the book. So I guess people could expect to get some sort of a, um, I don't know, how do you put that? Some sort of a, um, a meaning in each book. Just like mm. they would in a song. Yeah. I think that's a, an important thing. Um, the stuff I talk about um, with my agent, Alan Guthrie, who's who won, I think, I don't remember if he won it, I think he was nom- nominated for an Edgar but way back in the day, but he's now sort of ed- an editor and um, my agent. And we talk a lot about um, themes and what, what, what what's the, the, the goal is, I suppose, like similar to writing that perfect song it's right what's the perfect novel what's the sort of thing that's going to make uh, this book uh, sell um so that's what i look for is in each book there's a theme um and i think getting better at expressing that hope uh, and also focusing on the character and making them uh go through the, the sort of emotional journey which gives them the something that backs up and reinforces that theme um, with a song, you know, you want to get, a, so there's a more visceral reaction, I suppose, as much from the music as well as the words and the tune that people are, that the singer's singing. Um, whereas the 
with the the book, all I've got is my words. I suppose the cover and, and things like that. But trying to, you have to have less uh, tools at my disposal. It's just me and my keyboard, um, getting trying to express something about myself, I suppose, and about the world. So is that kind of the um, thing that holds back a writer? Do you think, even like yourself, is that it, it takes time to not only learn to write in a way that people enjoy, but also to to be able to express yourself and be comfortable with expressing some of your own feelings? Yeah, I think that's um, that's definitely true. It takes Because uh, I've, I've published so many books, and I think one of the things that really helped me is, especially early days, and it's still, it's, still, it's still very important now, but it's being edited. So working with editors, uh, usually the, most at the development stage, um, so that you know, tearing your story apart and restructuring it, and you know, I've learned, worked with like so many editors now, and I've learned a, a lot from each one, and it's it's been absolutely fascinating. But the I think nowadays you get a lot more um, feedback on your books with the if you just look on Amazon, you see you know hundreds of reviews, thousands of reviews, thousands of ratings, and when people take the time to sort of comment on your book. You know, at the early days, it feels like a kick in the teeth, but you get over that when people are criticising you, looking for um, what it is they didn't like about it. If there's a theme that emerges from one book, you've made a mistake probably, or you've just really hacked off a lot of uh, a lot of readers, and you don't want to to repeat that mistake. So you can learn from from that. So one, th- so one of the, going back to the music theme. I, I started learning to play drums, uh, which is something I always wanted to do, and now I'm doing it in my forties. Um, and I was talking to a drum teacher about this, um, and we were, it, I think it was, we were talking about um, how people like the Beatles or um, Elvis Presley or uh, the Who or you know Bob Dylan, the Velvet Underground, they were playing you know lots and lots and lots of gigs. So they they were playing in front of a big audience all the time. And they got so much feedback, and that sort of fed into their instinctive uh, playing. So a lot of the complex musical things they were they were actually achieving, they had no idea they were doing it, but they would hit two chords or something, and they'd see an audience react in a certain way, and that became part of their instinct. That's certainly what I take from it. So I think that getting that feedback um, for in any sort of creative endeavour is certainly critical i think to improving your your ability to express yourself only only when they're throwing their panties at them (laughs) (laughs) yeah we weren't talking about tom jones no (laughs) (laughs) well i I was wondering uh you're talking about uh themes in your in your fiction and i just wonder if, if you found any reoccurrent themes or motifs that tend to show up and if they show up uh, uh deliberately or if it's more unconscious as you're as you're writing your your novels yeah i think one of the things that definitely um comes across is even though i'm writing about generally about police officers um there's a lot of the office politics comes across mm. in every book. And I try to approach it in different ways. So the Cullen books, his boss, Bain, uh, D.I. Brian Bain, is very overbearing, very arrogant. Um, and that's something you would see in a, um, a particular office environment, which I've certainly experienced. 
Um, the Fenchurch one is he's much more of a reluctant um, participant and all that. So he's like trying to just do the job and there's all this office politics going off in other areas of the London Metropolitan Police Force. Um, and the Vicky Dodds books, which are set in Dundee, they're much, it's much more a collegiate thing. So people get on with each other. So the tension comes from what they do, which can annoy people. But the intention is that they're, um, they're actually friends rather than enemies, which the Cullen books certainly have more than a share of. Yeah. Well, that's, so when you talk about British and American crime, mm-hmm. do you, do you have to write them differently? Is there a different, way of writing each of those types of crime? Yeah, so I've written three novels set in um, Seattle, uh, which were FBI thrillers um, about the um, child abduction unit, uh, rapid deployment unit in the FBI. Um, And they're much more, I think American audiences tend to want a bit more of an action thing, or they want more of a uh, a PI thing. So if you look at someone like um, Michael Connolly's Bosch books, the, the common thing, theme people talk about with them is they're not really like a, a, a traditional British police procedural. They're much more like he's a police, he's a private investigator in the old um, Chandler mould, but he's operating inside the police force. Whereas um, if you look at someone like Stuart McBride or Mark Billingham or Ian Rankin, who are the, the big British uh, male crime writers, they were their their books are very um, very different and much more focused around the actual process of being a, a police officer with a with a team working for you or working with a team. Uh, so there's, a, there's very much a different way of approaching it. But I think the the FBI ones they're much more um, action-led than and more like cinematic thrillery type things than I'd previously done, um, but they were probably more close to the British thing with the investigative element going on in there, and also the the sidekicks and all those kind of people, the bosses, the bit of office politics that I'd tend to throw into my books. Yeah. Well, so you you seem to you cover a lot of police procedurals and stuff you talk let's talk about with you um is is this something you've always just been interested in or were you trying to be a cop or were you maybe a criminal that just (laughs) (laughs) i mean so where do where do you go when you want to know what goes on in these detectives minds and their the way they behave um yeah so I've got um, friends who are police officers who are very good at answering the stupid questions I come up with <laughs> um, and sometimes reading through the books um, and, and giving an impression on it. But generally, every time a reader has got in touch with me, they said, how do you know what it's like being a cop in Edinburgh or whatever? You totally nailed it. And it's like, I don't. I have no interest in being a police officer. Um it's just they're just people, you know. That's the thing. Um, police officers are people, and you get good ones and bad ones. And you seem to have a bit of a problem with uh, having far too many of the bad ones over there. Not that there's, we've got, we've got a shortage of that over here, but it's a, it's much more of a thing. Just simply, I think the way the police forces have 
um, have evolved separately in Britain and America. Yours are much more sort of militarized from a certain basis of uh, political reality, whereas ours are much much smaller forces, um, more just law, just the sort of law and order kind of aspect of it. And I think the um, writing about the detectives as opposed to um, what we call a beat bobby or you call a patrol cop, um, they tend to be more heroic figures um, because they're, they're trying to get achieve some form of justice. Whereas if you're writing about someone who's a, a, you know, like a beat cop, there's a, you know, that's where I think a lot more of the um, negative behaviours and police officers come from and you are exhibited. Um, and that's not the sort of the books that I would I'd, I write or want to write or want to read about. But um, I, I think there's a lot of people are going to write a lot more about that. Yeah. Well, it, it's a good thing to avoid these times, right? Like mm-hmm. nowadays, because there's so much, it, it divides people because you, no matter what, you're going to lose half the country. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And sometimes you can lose all the country <laughs> because you, you've got it so wrong. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think that people want to read a book to escape, you know, there's enjoyment um, and you can, you can put in little bits of, of your personal worldview in there, but if you go too far, you you just alienate everyone because you're it's a polemic they're reading rather than some form of escape. Um, so it's good to sort of thread the um, the message, I suppose, through with all the entertainment side of it. Uh, but you're you're there to make people turn the pages and find out what happened and, and uh, understand the deepest mystery that's going on here. Yeah, so I I think they. The heart of it has to be about the mystery or, or mm-hmm. the storyline that you do, and not so much about whether the, there's good cops or bad cops or starting yeah. to get into that because that's you're asking for trouble uh, <laughs> in these current times. You know, people just yeah, you know, just, there's important books being written on that subject, and they're, they're just very different to what this sort of thing I would write. Yeah, yeah, yeah it has to be. Now I noticed um, uh, in this. Uh, the last one, A Hill to Die On, I think that mm-hmm. was uh, book eight. Now, um, Fenchurch is Chloe Fenchurch, and that that's a female uh, detective, right? So she's the, the the daughter of the main cops. The main guy in the series is D.I. Simon Fenchurch, and Chloe is his daughter. So all the way back to the the first book in that series, um, the, the sort of the whole there's a whole, whole load of spoilers about to happen here, but the uh, she was um, abducted as a child, and the first three books are about their um, attempts to recover her. Um, um, sort of the first the first book, the hope that kills. He's in a really negative place. Um, has been obsessed about trying to find her, where his wife has moved on, and they've divorced. And it's mo- as much about their relationship as the as the central plot um and then over the the course of the eight books they've got um reconciled um and it's been a challenge for them i think it's fair to say but by this point uh the eighth book chloe's now a police officer um training in the met and finding it she's an, it's a, an idealistic cop and finding that the reality doesn't quite match up with uh, her idealism yeah, sort of like me. 
<laughs> do, do, how do you how do you write it from that point of view of of the daughter, for instance, like Chloe? How do you get into that person's head when, of course, you're not a woman, at least that we know of, and and a daughter <laughs> of a cop? So yeah. I, I just wonder what what your process is to getting into someone like that. Um, I think it's it's as much homing in on their worldview. You know, how does what does she see? I mean, all the the stuff I've put on the page that's happened to her, plus the stuff I haven't put on. Um, that's you refer to that. So looking at where she's been, and that is going to give her a sort of worldview that makes her see see things are coloured in a certain way, and the sort of events that have happened in particularly the fourth to seventh books um, make her uh, a have flaws, I suppose, but she's a, a give her a sort of heroic edge. Um, but in terms of the voice, um, I, I don't really know how I do it. That's the thing. Um, I'm a like hardcore uh, pantser, you know, a plotter, as they say, rather than a pantser. And I, so I outline thoroughly, extremely, and, and that's why I produce so many books. But sometimes I, I'm absolutely baffled by the things that I can put into my books or being able to sort of write in that um, voice of a late teenage um, woman, girl at that age. Um, and it's it, it, a lot of the feedback I get is that it, it, it reads authentically, even like someone at that age. And I, I have no idea what kids listen to or that is even music. <laughs> I'm getting to that age. Um, but, you know, I think for for advice for other authors, I would say it's, it's just write the character. They're all people um, find find their voice, find what what they've been through, and that'll impact the way they see things, how they trust, how they, who they don't, and do they, you know, someone who's been abducted as a child, um, they're going to see a lot of threats, for instance, in the world, and that's going to colour their, their view, so they're maybe on hyper alert a lot of the time. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned voice. Um mm. Do you have an inner monologue? Can you hear Chloe and your other characters in, in your head? Uh, I just want to know if you're, you're hearing voices. Yeah. <laughs> so we can help you with that, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm on drugs for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, um, I think that I don't, I, I'm not someone who writes a lot of in, inner thought. Hmm. Um, I tend to um, write, you know, third, they're all third person, past tense, uh, limited, limited, uh, books so it's not like there's a fart you're hearing her in her head uh occasionally throw in some thoughts uh reaction and so on um but the the way the the way the characters talk i always try to make sure each character has a distinct voice when they speak um this is distinct as the actions they do um so that uh, and also, I think when you when you've got characters, so a lot of the books I've written have been single point of view. So and this is the first Fenchurch book where um, there's been any it's been shown from anyone's eyes but him. Um, so I think um, showing it from her her viewpoint has been a, a, an interesting one. And I think actually thinking about now, I, I approached each of her scenes in a different way than I would have done his. Um, so that they have a different flow and a different energy to them. And there's a bit more um, 
pace and a bit more youthful exuberance in those. And I think if you look at the, even the, the opening chapter is from her point of view about her discovering a body. And that's, um, that happens quite r- rapidly. There's a bit of slapstick comedy that goes sour and goes quite tragic quite quickly. And then there's quite a lot of different locations in there. So whereas one of his uh, scenes would tend to be more sedate and sitting around an office table or walking or driving, hers are running. Um, so it, there's a lot of stuff that I do to, to differentiate each character in that way uh, when they've got multiple points of view on the go. So, so are you? Do you get really into your character then as you write them? Like, are you wearing a dress and, <laughs> and the whole thing? And do you follow through, or is this just sort of? It, you just sort of. It's just looking at people as the basic person and going from there. Yeah, um, I mean, I've written um, four books um, from the perspective of Vicky Dodds, as a female officer, and. I think the second Craig Hunter book was half from his um, girlfriend's perspective, who was a female cop as well. So it's and then the the, the FBI books, um, quite a lot. Of the um, those other points of view were uh, female, but yeah, it's just they're you know men men and women are just people. There's as much variety in women as there is in men, um, you know. So you know, find that who that character is and write write about them. What's their what's their experience? Well, how do they see things? How do they feel about things? Um and, you know, usually characters will have a, a misbelief. So there's whatever they've ha- gone through in their lives, they'll see things in a certain way and they'll act in that way. And I think one of the things that can differentiate a, a hero and a villain is whether they change as a result of the story. Um, if someone misbelieves something that causes them to do something, if they can accept that that's a mistake and they should do something, I think people have a lot more sympathy than a villain who misbelieves something that makes them do horrific things. And so on the main character, like I believe that's Simon's her father. Yeah. Um, we're, so this is kind of like the main character throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. Who is he? Is, is Is that a lot of you or a lot of what you is that character doing a lot of things you'd like to try and do <laughs> no he's the he's probably the least like me i think of the characters i've written um so i think when i started out with the scott Collin books he's one that maybe the most similar to me so that was you know started writing that about 13 years ago and as a y- lot younger guy <laughs> i started doing it he had a bit more of the um, brash impulsiveness and ambition I had at that age. Whereas, and I think when when um, you're sort of writing a series, you look at the, especially detective books, you look at the sort of the tropes of the genre. And um, with, with British police procedurals, they tend to be older cops with with uh, difficult marriages, uh, bad relationships with children, a classic car all that kind of stuff. Um, and I inverted that and made him really young, uh, not married, no kids, and his car was rubbish. Uh, so, he, um, so you know, so all this, the development happened on the page rather than sort of a backstory or whatever. 
Um, whereas with Fenchurch, I actually tackled that on much more. So you had the difficult backstory and, and all the personal trauma and all that kind of stuff. But he's um, a lot less like me. I mean, I am a bit of a grumpy sod at times, but um, nowhere near as bad as him. But then I haven't had my child abducted and <laughs> met an officer in the Metropolitan Police. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, where, where does the comedy come from? Like, I like a lot of old um, 40s and 50s mm. um, mysteries and detectives. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, like, there was a lot of comedy in it, kind of a... A, a, a way of of the detective being kind of a yeah. smartass, you know, kind of yeah. in a way. And I I I enjoy that. But um, where do where do you get it from? And kind of what is it? Is it you? So sort of hope people kind of smile throughout the book, even though there's it's a mystery or a thriller. I think I hope so. Um, I mean, one of the big biggest influences I have is reading a lot of books from that period. Like Ed McBain would be the classic example who defined a lot of this stuff. Um, and his books, there's a lot of wry humour in there, and you know they, they act like people. They're you know they're rub, ribbing each other and so on. Um, but in terms of humour in my books, um, I think if you you're writing about murders or you're writing about abductions or assaults or whatever there you know there's a lot of dark stuff in there um you know if you read whenever you read books or watch stuff that's it's just got one tone like that it just becomes boring basically so i've having in multiple different um streams of uh, emotion uh, and given an emotional range means that i think the darker stuff hits harder um, but also, I think when you're writing um, these sort of book series books, you know, you, there's a what they call parasocial phenomenon going on. So, like, a, for instance, a podcast would be an example of that, where you guys will have um, people listening to on the radio or listening to the podcast on their phones or whatever, um, but they'll think they know you even though they don't because they they sit and hear you and you talk about you know the stuff you talk about. So, that, but it's, it goes one way because they they there's a lot of information you put out they soak up, um, and um, that that's the same phenomenon that applies with with books as well. Even though they're not necessarily associating with me, they're associating with the characters, but. What you want um, is that whenever one of my new books comes out, they, they want to spend more time with those characters. So, yeah, they've they've gone through some difficult stuff, but there are people who make them laugh or make them smile, or they so that, and also when they're sharing the the harder times that they're they've got more of a rapport and more empathy for their situations because they like them, and I think that's the key to long term success for um, book series is that. People just want to pick it up to spend time with people they've enjoyed spending time with in the past. When you write humor, um, you know, there's something to be said about like comedic timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people, you know, go on stage, do stand up comedy or whatever, do you feel like there's a, a need for timing or rhythm uh, when you're putting uh, comedy or, or humor into prose? There's different types of it, I suppose. Yeah, um, some of it's just a dry one-liner retort, you know, where uh, you're you're amazingly witty uh, <laughs> detective is <laughs> is you know is putting someone down or just has a, a, a snarky wee comment back. Um, but I think when you're trying, like, a, a, yeah, I think you're getting at more of a sort of um, a comedic set piece. 
um, like that sort of first chapter in The Hill to Die on, there's a bit of slapstick in there, and that's that's quite tough to to get right, I think, especially on in the written word. Um, you know, if you're filming someone falling over, you know, you've got mm. the masters like Charlie Chaplin, and then any number of imitators since, um, who you know you can you point a cam- camera and uh, mess about in a very amusing way. Um, but with the with the book, I think it's about showing intent and then subverting that intent and then twisting it even further. So they're trying to open a fridge door. The the someone kicks them in the back of the knee, they fall in, the fridge door opens, and then all the bottles of of what we call juice fall out, what you call a soda. So they're covered in cans of coke and all that kind of stuff. And then so when they're trying to get up to chase after the guy, um, they're falling over all the cans of coke or sprite or iron brew. Um, yeah, so it's a lot of um, rhythms is a tough one to get in uh, in fiction. It's one of the most un- I think neglected. Uh, acts, uh, bits of uh, writing craft is that a lot of people can write very stilted rhythm- rhythmically. So it's it's like one two three, one two three, one two three, one two three, and it just becomes a, a sort of numbing, monotonous thing. There's, you need that variety with sentence length. So you can have like one two three, one two three. It gives you sort of you know a, a nice tension, but then open it up with a really sort of long flowing description, for instance, and it keeps people on their toes, keeps their brains uh, ticking over as well. Well, that's if they have a brain. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I seem to have an issue with that. But uh, you know, now, so this is this might sound a little bit of a weird question, but um, it's just that um, after hundreds of fiction writers, I I get so many different descriptions of who the characters are to them. You know, I've heard, I've heard writers tell me that it's like their children. It's like their family. It's like, you know, I get all that sort of stuff. Um, do you sort of put your characters in the same thing? Are they real to you? And how do you describe them? Um, are they real to me? Um, I think so. Uh, I kind of have a love hate relationship I suppose, with them though. They're, so they're closer to really close friends, you know, the way you have that or family. Um, and yeah. Uh, how do I describe them? Like some of them, like I say, some of them I just don't think I'd get on with in person. You know, I think um, they'd they'd think I was too cowardly or just this dafty author or big author, um, um, big lump. Um, whereas others, I think, would be more sympathetic. Uh, like so I think Vicky Dodds would be more uh, would give me more time and would be uh, would, would want to get to know people. Um, she's a bit of a kinder person, whereas I think Fenchurch would s- just see right through me very quickly, uh, and Colin would be up to some up to no good, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm wondering, have, have any of your characters ever done anything, uh, maybe to surprise you? Have they kind of just started rebelling against the plot? Does that happen? Uh, usually, when that happens, it's because I've made a mess of the outline, <laughs> um, and yeah, just not thought something through. In terms of behaviour, though, yeah, um, one of the guys I, I loved writing so much uh, is a real what we'd call a marmite character. Um, I don't know if that that translates across the, the Atlantic. But marmite's this, um, I suppose, it's a breakfast thing people would put on their uh, toast, right. um, and it's it's I think it it's 
it's a yeast extract and it's it i think it tastes absolutely vile um, but some people absolutely swear by it so it's um it's a it's a real love hate thing the marmite character is uh, brian bain and he um constantly surprised me and he was the fun he was sort of the funny one but he was a nasty nasty person so he um, you know he he was he's not a good person but you know he saw the funny in things and it, he would just come up with stuff that's obviously some dark part of my psyche but he would uh he would surface that i remember um particularly earlier uh i remember one time i was getting the a butt on a bus uh, to work because the train was cancelled, and I was just sitting with my. I printed the book out, and I was just going right going through editing it on um, paper, and and I got to one line, and I just got myself into fits of, of giggles about um, something I'd written, and it was I couldn't you know that one of the things I find is that I can remember lots of factual information, so. I can remember who did what in which book, um, and I can remember, you know, so like when I go back to a new a new series, it's just uh, a new book in, in an old series. It's just like uh, falling off a log. I just pick it up so quickly, but then there's whole things I just can't remember I've written, like little funny things that that just um, absolutely tickle me, but. I can't remember writing, um, and that's one of the joys, I suppose, as well as <laughs> forgetting what you've written and liking it. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry, it won't be long, and that'll be that way with everything. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't even remember where you are, you know. It's just, uh, so you mentioned stru- structure and outlining. So, um, are you doing that in each book? Uh, you know, do you kind of know where it's going to end, but when you get a series of eight books, do, do you sort of have this all outlined somewhere in your head or somewhere that you know where how it begins and kind of how it's going to end, but you just kind of work out the details on the way? Like, How is that outline structure work for you? So that's one of the things I've had um, difficulties with, that um, I do outline each book, um using sort of various uh, dramatic techniques, usually from screenwriting. Um, they're very big on structure in that world. And it's, you know, you get a lot of really good stuff that that way. But what I've found is having written each book, I just have done it piecemeal. So I've written myself into so many corners, not in a book, but over the, oh God, when I have to go pick up the eighth book in that series, I don't like where I've actually put the cop. Or the main character, he's like working in the drug squad now, and I don't want him doing that. So I have to think very quickly about how I get him out of that. Um, and also the sort of interpersonal, you know, romantic stuff I've not really thought through longer term. So I'm, he's in a relationship I don't want him to be in. So that has to come out. Um, and one of the things I'm doing, focusing on just now, is there's a new series I'm, I'm developing, which will hopefully get at least one book out this year. Um, I've done an I did, I've done an outline for the first book, but what I found is that one of the things that blocked me from actually develop writing that is what I want to know where it's going. So I'm doing what they they call in the TV world the series bible. So big you know TV shows like Lost or Twenty Four or Star Trek or any of that. 
they all have a series bible so it'll outline a few bits about the characters and a few episodes and here's where this character is going to go here's what they're going to go through um so that's what i'm focusing on with this new um series so that i'm finding it actually works really well because what i thought was going to be the second book is actually the third book and the swap the order um, and it's leading into some really nice stuff in the fourth book, which um, I'm building up over time. So t- taking time to spend, to let myself outline across multiple books has been a real, well, hopefully it'll pay off. <laughs> I don't want to curse it. But, um, you know, taking that time to um, to, do, to do it is definitely something I would wish I'd done uh, for my previous books. Um, as I think it'd be richer uh, for it. Um, but um, I think it's is a, is a good discipline to get into if you if you're developing a, a series that's going to you know is going to be three four books long. Spend time thinking where you want that character to get to by the end of the three or four books, and then you can have an easy jumping off point if you don't want to write any more because you've got you've closed that story. But if you want to pick it up again, you've already done the work and you you know you've, you know where they are now. Now, um, in your series, the people do not have to read them all in order. Someone could pick up like book eight now and read it and go back if they want. Um, yeah, I think um, it's, it's always the sort of the, the thing I, I focus on being able to, to be, to do that. Um, I think I have probably a harder continuity with my books. Um almost like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You have to watch 27 films to understand what's going on in this TV show. Um, the, yeah, the, there's there's a lot of continuity with it, but I, one of the things I recently work with different editors is to, um, so to go with someone who's never read any of my books before. So they're going at it cold. Um, does that book, eight or nine in a series, does it work standalone? Um, or if someone who's like not edited me for like five or six books and they pick pick this up, can they follow it? What's going on? Um, and there's a lot of the, the prevailing wisdom is that you you want readers to start at book one, but you can't control readers. So you know if if a reader starts at book eight, you want them to yeah go back to the start and pick the whole series up um, and get to and catch up with themselves because that that's um, when I got into crime fiction. To reading it, it was uh, with Ian Rankin, who's the, the pretty much the preeminent um, British uh, crime writer with his Rebus novels. And the first one that hit big for him was the eighth one, and that's the first one I um, read back in 1998. Um, and then I went back and read all the, the the previous books, but it didn't have. I don't remember but at the time being absolutely bamboozled that you had to know this person, this person, and this person for it, any of it to make sense. So I think that was a great template to to be able to follow. That you know you don't have to pick up book one to to understand the characters. You want to show. You also want to show something new with the characters in each book as well. Um, it doesn't have to be Angela Lansbury and Murder She Wrote going to a new town and there's another. Uh, another mar- suspicious martyr and no character <laughs> development for her. <laughs> and so when you're writing, um, can you just turn it on and write? So if you've got like a four-hour window, you can just sit down and write? Or do you have to be in a particular mood to do do the job? 
Uh, I am very, uh, one of the things I'm good at is actually uh, just sitting down and getting through the work. That's what I do. <laughs> I, it goes back to um, when I started out, um, I was working full time and I had a commute that was an hour each way on the train. So I used to um, get there, stand on the platform. I knew exactly where the, the train stopped so that I could get into a certain bit, grab a elbow everyone out the way, grab uh, a table, put my laptop out and headphones on. And that was me for another uh, hour of, of just writing. Um, I've always, and that's stayed with me. So I get up, um, do my look, look at my sales stats and then just get straight on with the, the writing process. And I'll work through till, you know, lunchtime. Uh, and then take my dog out for a walk up some brutal hills around here in the Scottish borders. <laughs> well, there you have it. You know what to look mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Ed walking around the hills with his dog. <laughs> um, yeah. well, I say, so if you had to pick one book of someone that has never heard of you or never read your books and you were to pick one book to give them to kind of get your style of writing, which one would you tell them to get? Um, I think I would give them. That's a very difficult question because there's so many of them, so many books published. It's not to say there's so many that are, they would answer that question. <laughs> um, I think the best one uh, is the one that's coming out in May, which is a standalone. It's a psychological thriller, so it's slightly different from my existing books. It's called Lost Cause, and it's about an author who's. Um, struggled to uh, finish his book for five years, which is not an affliction I've ever had because my problem is I've published too many, not en- not not enough. Um, but his uh, daughter goes missing in the Scottish Highlands, and he goes up to find her, and he has to rely on his ex-wife, who's a, a police officer, to help him find her and track her down. And lots of dark um, mystery going on up there. Um, that's the that's the one I'd recommend because it's got no. Um, series connotations, but it's also got the huge investigative and element and a lot of character work. Uh, but if the, people are looking to get into any of my series, the first Fenchurch one, The Hope That Kills, is probably the the one I would point them to. It's um, It's got the most, uh, the strongest character work, I think, of the books I've done. Do you think you get better with each book you do? Um, yeah, well, so one of the things my so Alan Guthrie, my uh, agent, uh, says is if you can look at one of your old books um, and not want to, t- to tear it apart, then you've stagnated as a writer. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, I'm, I've, I've actually been quite bad at going through back and editing old books, and it's something I'm trying to stop doing uh, just because you can always look at it. It's like, it's like um, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin remastering his back catalogue every five years or whatever. <laughs> you've got to stop um, You've got to stop fiddling and just let it be. But um, I think, I personally think, you know, I always try to do something new with each book and learn something new. So I think that, that makes me a better writer, um, whether my readers agree with me or not, I don't know. Uh, but I, I like to feel like I'm, I'm developing and um, I'm more capable of expressing what I'm trying to express, if that makes sense. When you've uh, finished a novel or even a chapter, uh, do you do anything to uh, relax and recharge in between? Um another chapter <laughs> <laughs> you just get on with it <laughs> yeah i um 
It depends. I usually like, I, I tend to like to sprint really. Um, so if I'm in the zone, I'll just keep going until I can't do any more. And then it's like, right, I just need to get out of the house and go and, uh, yeah, like I say, walk the dog. That's my sort of, that's my relaxation. Um, so I had a lot of, a few health scares a few years ago and got myself quite fit. So, um, where I live is, um, lots of, um, big hills so I take the dog up the up them uh, every day to just get my my heart pound, pounding and uh, my feet pounding um, and that, that that does sort of take a lot of the pent up tension and one of the things about being a writer is you sit in on your bahuki all the time <laughs> so you know that's a sedentary lifestyle so getting out and doing doing something is a uh, like getting out into the fresh air as well into nature you know I walk up um Trails, it's we call it forestry commission land here. So there's lots of old trees being grown since the sixties and you can just walk amongst them on these big old uh, paths. But getting out into the, the nature and sort of smelling the fresh air and uh, not seeing a soul for, for hours at a time. That's great and gets my um gets my head clear as much as my uh, heart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good to stay away from people. They're awful. <laughs> yeah. Personally, they're just awful people, creatures. Dogs are good. Yeah. People. Well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so speaking of people and how awful they are, do you, so do you interact with people on social media? Are you into that? Do you have a website? How do you kind of like to connect with um, readers? Yeah, so there's quite a few things I do. Um, I tried uh, TikTok last week, and it just was... <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> um, the like, I mean, that is the death of civilization. That yeah. right there, look at that. Um, yeah. Just uh, talk about sensory overload. Um, it bam- absolutely bamboozled me. But um, yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter and Facebook, and I, I post a lot of photos from my many dog w- walks on Instagram. Uh, they're all all my handles are Ed James Author. Um, which my website is edjamesauthor.co.uk, uh, or edjames.co.uk and edjamesauthor.com. And I've started doing a, well, I've done it for a few years now, actually, a, a Substack newsletter, which, um, doesn't have many people on it, but, um, it, it, I just write it every week as a, as a little, uh, so you can hear my dog drinking water in the back. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. So she's obviously not that impressed. Um, yeah. yeah, no. So it's a Substack <laughs> newsletter. It's just um, it, it, like I write what I've done this week and what I'm going to do in the next week, and it just keeps me sort of focused on, on and accountable to myself, I suppose. Uh, and I, like, I think a lot of people tell re- reply to it saying they like seeing that. That side of the, well, seeing how the sausage is made, as we'd say over here. Um, so the, you know, writing is a, it's a tough, a tough business than publishing. It's, it can be brutal psychologically because you've got so many ups and downs. Um, it's not just the case of sitting down and writing. It's coping with the, the business side of it that I think people don't quite appreciate. So hopefully they can see, uh, certainly how my twisted brain ticks in the administrative bureaucracy world. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it is. It's it's very emotional at times, right? You know, yeah. You know, you get that bad review and you're going to, oh, I'm going to kill this person. <laughs> <laughs> Put them in my next book, you know. Yeah. 
you know, no. I, so we'll have that linked up, of course, on the website sure. and stuff like that. You know, how was COVID for you with writing? Did it sort of interfere with your with your groove, so to speak? Uh, no, it was just basically let everyone else in the world see what it's like being me, because <laughs> you had to stay inside <laughs> all the time. Um, and you got out, you got out, over here. We got out for an hour a day exercise. Um, I wrote. Um, quite a lot during that time um, and published quite a lot and I wrote some books that were set during the pandemic just to document a lot of the stuff that was going on for myself um, and they're kind of a bit more niche those books are sort of about 45,000 words so they're a bit shorter than than other stuff but um, you know I thought it was my way of documenting it and some people really like them so I'm quite pleased with that but yeah I got I, might, I've, I spent it was quite a lot of the start of 2020 was a, a difficult time for me uh, professionally. Um, so I spent a lot of time focusing and refocusing my brain. And I think now, two years later, I'm kind of at the end of that um, cycle of shoring things up, I suppose. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of the um, global catastrophe <laughs> going on. Um, it was impacted by the personal <laughs> catastrophe as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know. I just, it, you know, everybody feels it differently. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just interesting to see if something, you know, when it, when it's stressful outside, if it kind of works its way into your writing, if it gets a little darker maybe or a little bit more yeah. uh, unknown. I think, it, I think I actually got my work writing a bit lighter. I think it... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think with the rise, and this is probably going to alienate, alienate half your audience, but the the rise of the sort of populists in 2016, um, which was, you know, um, Trump uh, on your side and the Brexit uh, vote on our side, um, I found those difficult times and I was quite angry about a lot of that. Um, and a lot of that anger was channeled into my books. And when I look back at some of that stuff, I can see there's a bit of anger in there as well. Um, but yeah, the stuff now, um, I tend to sort of have a bit, a bit more, a bit more kindness to myself, I think, and a bit more, a bit more levity, and, and I'm kind of accepting that the world is a certain way. I can't change it. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's just I think, I think things like this are, are always around, always have been, especially in our lifetime, mm-hmm. and it's just how much of it you see or notice or how. Yeah, you know how much of it's it's out there at times. A lot of times it seems, you know, that you know we thought it was gone at times, and it keeps coming back. So I think it's just kind of a yeah. Um, and there's a certain you can sort of understand a certain element with the people, the way people vote, or, or in a certain way that there's there's an anger at the world that they have. Um, so, you know, some of them are just nasty people. I think, yeah. but um, I think it's it's realizing that they can be easily led by demagogues i suppose and that's the depressing part that people fall for for their confidence tricks still yeah yeah no end you know no uh, never ends <laughs> no it doesn't seem to you know mm-hmm. well it's been a great conversation yeah um, i've had a great time thanks uh, of course we're talking about the the latest book in the uh thin church uh crime thriller book eight a hill to die on And the author's been our guest, Ed James. Uh, Thank you for being on the show. 
Thank you for having me again. It's been, uh, now can I say that it was great fun. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.